This is a Federal News Network podcast. It's been almost a month since the Biden administration first announced its new vaccine and testing policy for federal employees and contractors. And federal managers say there are still some key pieces of the new policy that are unresolved. That's creating some anxiety among managers. They're worried they're not equipped to answer some potentially tricky questions from employees, especially those who are vaccine hesitant. Federal News Network's Nicole Agrisco has been digging into the story, and she joins us now to explain some of those concerns. Hey, Nicole. Hey, Jared. So on the vaccine hesitancy bit, I will be the first to acknowledge I was wrong on this. You and I had an off-air conversation a little while ago um, in which I predicted the federal employee population would be quite a bit less vaccine hesitant than the American public at large. But I, I may have been totally wrong based on what you're hearing. Well, we don't necessarily have concrete data that shows that just yet. But managers associations that I've talked to have talked to their members about the vaccine, and they see a little bit of that uh, from employees. Craig Carter, he's the national president of the Federal Managers Association. He says, you know, there's a small group of his members who have maybe medical conditions and they've been told not to get the vaccine by their doctors. He says, you know, maybe there were others who were waiting for the FDA to grant full approval. And then just others on top of that who aren't interested and probably won't get it and don't want any level of government telling them what to do on this. And I guess if you think about the federal workforce as a subset of the rest of the American population, it, it does make some sense. Here, Here's Carter. If you're going by the national average where the CDC says about half of the population that's eligible that is vaccinated, and we have 2.1 million federal workers or so. If you go by those averages, then you're talking about a million federal workers that are not vaccinated. That's a logistic nightmare. That's Craig Carter. He's the national uh, president of the Federal Managers Association. You know, I also spoke with Ron Iritano, and he's the executive director of the Federal Aviation Administration Managers Association. And he says, yeah, I mean, he sees pockets of resistance, mostly in regional spots as well. And, you know, one thing he mentioned is that a lot of air traffic controllers have military experience. And so, they're used to kind of responding to demands from the chain of command. But of course, there are others who don't have that experience or they don't want to respond in that way. And of course, the option if you don't want a vaccine is to get tested with some regularity, which sounds relatively easy, relatively simple in practice. But implementation is turning out to be quite a bit more complicated than we might have thought a month or so ago. What, what are some of the outstanding questions that you're hearing from these managers? So the big thing, Jared, is how agencies are supposed to pay for this. And again, if you go back to that one million employee number, you know, that could be a pretty big challenge. It could also be pretty expensive. And of course, the numbers might be a little lower if you consider that under the administration's current policy, only employees who are working in person with some regularity have to get tested or pretty much anytime they're expected to be working in person, they'd be subject to these testing requirements. But, you know, the guidance from the administration so far says agencies are supposed to pay for the testing, not the employees, and agencies can set up a program in-house or contract it out. And associations say so far, you know, it seems like the agencies are just kind of having to fend for themselves with this. Both Iritano and Carter say they haven't heard how agencies, at least the agencies they work with, will pay for testing. I also spoke with Chad Hooper. He's the executive director of the Professional Managers Association. They represent IRS supervisors. 
the IRS is a tax enforcement mechanism. Like, we are not public health specialists. The IRS does not have the ability to, you know, know how to contract testing in its 550 locations. It's an absurd sort of ask to put on an agency without any top-down direction. And, and I have to say that that's a great, a great cause of frustration. The IRS, you know, is like waiting for this information. Then I go to OPM and then OPM story is, well, we're waiting for the IRS to tell us what their plan is. That's Chad Hooper. He's the executive director of the Professional Managers Association. And, you know, I asked OMB and OPM about some of that dissonance that you hear there from Hooper. And OMB pretty simply said, you know, look, we're working with agencies to identify some acquisition support and funding that would help them set up those testing programs. And they didn't get into many more details And then, you know, I'll say Jared, Aritano and Carter, you know, they both said that paying for these new responsibilities at the end of the fiscal year is especially tough. You know, they're expecting a continuing resolution before by September 30th, and they're not sure that agencies will necessarily get more funds to pay for this. Yeah, it seems unlikely at this point, honestly. Um, Okay, so the the Biden administration is saying that there are consequences for employees who refuse to get, who, who refuse both vaccination and testing, and also consequences for people who lie on the form. Um, you're hearing some concern about that from managers, too, I understand. Yeah, I think the big worry is that it puts managers in a pretty tricky position of having to maybe have politically fraught conversations with the people that they supervise about vaccines, and they're not really ready to have those conversations. And in some cases, they've already had to supervise, you know, symptom screening at the office and other kinds of COVID-related questions that have been kind of challenging. You know, Iritano with the FAA Managers Association says the agency has already lost supervisors in recent months, and he says and worries they might lose more. The concern is if you you add another layer of responsibility like this, that makes it, you know an already very difficult job even more difficult. So you know that yes, it could certainly add at the very least add a whole new layer of stress that they don't need at this point in time without some type of clear process, and and even lead to people leaving leaving our ranks and going back to the the frontline ranks to the bargaining unit. We've actually seen a couple of folks just in the last month. I was talking to some of our our directors in the, or, of the, in the organization, they were commenting how they've lost some good people to go back to the bargaining unit because they just don't want to deal with the, you know, hassle of trying to manage. And, you know, it was already hard enough beforehand. You add all these, these new other requirements, it's going to even be more difficult. That's Ron Yurtano with the FAA Managers Association. And Carter with FMA, you know, he says he sees a scenario where maybe people do protest over testing and he's worried about having people off the job on paid administrative leave while they resolve disciplinary situations. And then, you know, he also says he sees the potential for disparate treatment within the federal workforce itself. I mean, the policy says right now that unvaccinated employees must submit to testing if they're required to work in person. And then if they refuse, they'll be subject to discipline. But unvaccinated employees who are teleworking it appears don't have to go through any of this and therefore don't face the same disciplinary risk because of the nature of their jobs. I asked OPM about some of these disciplinary concerns and an official there says once agency testing programs are established, OPM will work with agencies on strategies to maximize compliance 
employees who refuse to comply with testing requirements are putting other employees, contractors, and visitors to federal workplaces at risk. They will be subject to discipline in the same way as employees who refuse to comply with any other workplace safety policy. And Jared, I'll note one thing that I think is telling from that OPM statement. Once agency testing programs are established, and that seems to me to suggest that they are not nearly established. Yes, that was my takeaway too. Very good. Nicole Grisco from Federal News Network. Thanks very much. Thanks, Jared. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, 
when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, 
and they they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the US Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.